Hello, hello, hey everyone. How's everyone doing? Welcome to the stream. This is uh, Dojo Talks. It's our podcast that we stream live. Um, I guess quick shout out to everyone listening on like podcast apps and Spotify and stuff in, in the future. Thanks for supporting the show and, and listening. We really appreciate it. We're glad to see that um, people are enjoying the podcast and, and the talks. And um, well, for today's episode, our topic is uh, chess addiction, something that seems to affect lots of us, um, lots of us being the senseis and chess players in general. Um, I think there are certainly a lot of comparisons that can be made and that we'll try to make. Um, but first things first, let's just maybe uh, open it up and, and discuss a little bit about why we are talking about this today. So let me throw it to Jesse. <laughs> well, uh, you know, so I finished this 2700 quest thing recently, and that was definitely an addiction and a kind of addiction that I think literally millions of people around the world have, which is to play uh, blitz or some kind of time control that they just kind of tune the world out and they check into that and um, it does not help your chest. That's <laughs> one thing I know for sure. It is fun, it is very fun and it is a way to forget about the world um, and it is definitely an addiction. And I think when you think about the incredible growth in numbers that Lee Chess, chess.com, all the sites have had over this last year, it has a lot to do with just addiction. Um, and in terms of things to be addicted to, not so bad, <laughs> not such a bad thing to be addicted to. Um, but I definitely got addicted and it was one of the funny things on the stream is I would blame Kostya because Kostya, before he turned me on to the idea of like, Jesse, let's get into Blitz. It's really popular now, just for a little bit, man. Let's just do it for a little bit. You know, he did that to me. And then he's like, he quit. He's like, I'm out of here. I don't need this, you know. Uh, before he did that to me, um, he said, hey, Jesse, let's play some Puzzle Rush, man. Everybody's into it. We'll stream it and it'll just be cool. And I got, I got addicted into that too. And Kostya left, he didn't have, you know, he was like, whatever, I'm done with it after a certain time. But I'm, I, I have the true addictive personality. And I had like, in both times, I had some kind of number that if I didn't reach it, I, I was just gonna keep going until I hit the, the number. So it's definitely an addiction. And the number was my way to stop cold turkey. And I haven't done either of those since so yeah. um well let me just say anyway I'm really sorry for getting you hooked on <laughs> three minute uh three minute blitz yeah for me the things were definitely fun at the time and there's a lot of blitz events happening especially online blitz so i feel like i mean this is where chess is going um but yeah now otb chess is coming back and i feel like the more online blitz i play actually it's like taking away from that if uh if i don't like take the game seriously and really like try to study them um but the feeling of addiction definitely definitely gets in the way like when i play online um if i yeah if i start losing too much i definitely get into that space where it's just like oh i just want to like win the next one so that feels like a very like 
uh, addictive um, mindset to to be in. And I think that's the danger with online blitz. I think a lot of people get into this mindset and then that's where like all those um, like questions and thoughts come from like, oh, I'm this rating. Shouldn't I be like this rating? And it's like, I don't know, I think a lot of people are just trying to like win all their blitz games. And then <laughs> when they don't win their blitz games, they they think something's going wrong or they have to like rethink their chess training. Um, which you should all... warn them, which you should warn them they won't, right? There's nobody who gets to just win all their blitz games. That's never going to happen. Well, that's, yeah, that's the sign of the confusion. It's like uh, there's some kind of weird uh, disconnect or like uh, dissonance going on. Um, I think people do a lot of training and then they expect to just kind of like subconsciously you expect to just do really well the next time you you play. But as we know, I mean, like blitz results are essentially just random, like depending on your form, you could be playing out of your mind one day and then the next day, like you just don't see anything. Your brain is like foggy. I mean, it's not like it feels like it has very little to do <laughs> with whether or not you've been like studying lately. Um, so, OK, lots, lots to lots to unpack here. David, what are your thoughts? Um. Well, my first thought is if we're going to talk about chess addiction, we should maybe uh, break it down into what are the what are the sources of chess addiction? And, you know, are there different kinds of chess addiction? Right. Or is there just one? Right. Like, is it you're just addicted to chess or are you addicted to different things? I think that you and Jesse have already mentioned two different kinds of chess addiction, but obviously you may have different opinions than me. But Jesse mentioned that chess could be an escape from other things. Right. That when he goes into the world of three minute chess. Nothing else matters. It's just three minute chess. And that's a kind of addiction. I think that like some people go into certain things to escape. And then you mentioned the idea of just wanting to win the next game and win the next game and get your rating to a certain level. And I feel like that's an addiction, which is to, to winning an addiction to trying to like fuel your ego with, with the, with the feeling of winning. And I think that is probably a different kind of addiction right there those two yeah um for sure i definitely relate to like the escape part like uh, i have something to do i'm procrastinating oh let me just play like some blitz games if i win it's like you know that'll be fun i'll feel good about it but ultimately it's like it's not really productive <laughs> it's yeah it's just escaping from like uh whatever it is i think i should be doing um, and yeah, I guess the difference is, you know, how you go into it. Like if you like plan to like play like a couple games a day and then you like analyze the games, like that's one thing that's like you like trying to play good chess and then like analyzing your games and improving your chess. That's um, chess training. And it's not what we're talking about today. Right. That's a different thing. <laughs> right. We're basically talking about just like wasting time while we're like playing games. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe I should try to explain because I think people will will fight that point a little bit. And so I think a lot of people, when they do play Blitz, think they are getting better just by the amount of time they're putting into it. And I think there's different ways in which you can see that that's not true. But first, there's just the empirical way. You can just see that you're not going to get better. But I think on a deeper level, the thing that I'd really try to communicate to students, and I've helped people go cold turkey. It is very difficult. But the thing I think to realize is 
when you're playing blitz, you are just repeating the things that you've already done before, the things you've already understood. And the things that you've understood have been things that you processed when you were thinking at a deeper level, when you were doing what Kahneman calls like the, the long thinking instead of the quick thinking, which is definitely bliss chess. Bliss chess is just, you know, quick, 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 and you're not going to be able to learn anything significantly new out of that kind of uh, event. Um, and that was a big breakthrough for me. Um, because I didn't, un I, I had an intuitive sense of those two different kinds of thinking, but it was only when that book, Thinking Fast and Slow, was put out that I was like, oh, right, now I get it. Now I get what the difference is between the two. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's a good point. I don't know how far we want to go into like learning versus, versus the dark side that we're talking about today. Uh huh. I think that's a really good point that a lot of people may not have thought of before. I haven't thought of it before that basically when you're playing blitz, you're not taking the time to come up with anything new. So you're mostly just replicating what you already have. So by definition, you're kind of staying where you are. I think there is a point in the chat saying um, from, from Dritman saying that, you know, an initial amount of playing games helps people maybe get to a first plateau, wherever that plateau may be just by getting some experience playing chess. Mm -hmm. And I do agree with him. Now that's not going to apply to somebody who's like 2000 and we can talk about where the cutoff would be for different people. But, but it is true that if you're a true beginner of chess, just playing a bunch of games, whether they be rapid or blitz or classical, mm -hmm. you're just getting experience moving the pieces around. Maybe your opponent plays some moves that aren't, that aren't familiar to you. So what you're producing on the board might be like stuff you already know, but your opponent might produce new patterns and new moves. You might get new experiences if you've never been checkmated after leaving your king in the center. And then it happens to you, then you know that, then you start to know that that can become a thing. So I think for real beginners, there is um, some learning and just spamming out some games as we're saying, but like an experienced chess player that's, that basically disappears in the way Jesse says. You know, one fascinating uh, thing that came out recently that pertains to this is when you um, look at the stats, the most common time control on chess.com, Lee Chess, is 10-0. I never play 10-0. And one of the things about that is when people are new to the game or at a lower level, they're playing 10-0 or some kind of longer time control. And they can, you can get, you can think for five minutes in 10-0 if you want. Um, and you can actually learn something from that kind of at least slightly slower time control. But when they did then the stats, GMs, and the, the higher you go, the faster it gets. And for us and for me too, I don't want to play 10-0 because I'm worried about cheating because when I'm in front of the computer, I can't even think anyway. So all of us who are a little bit more experienced, if we go online to play, it's just for fun, you know, <laughs> just for like checking out and to do a battle. Yeah. So, um, well, okay. Let me throw in, uh, just another disclaimer that I think we've already mentioned this one, but it's just going to apply throughout the whole show. Like there are totally legitimate uses for like playing blitz when it comes to your chess, but we're talking about specifically when it's like, you're just playing for, the result, just like the thrill of like gaining some rating points, 
Um, uh, yeah, for me, it's like a very specific mindset. I think Charlie said the key to everything is reflection. For me, that was very true. So uh, this improved a lot for me once I started like trying to incorporate like some mindfulness. And as soon as I like would recognize that like, oh, I'm just in like a, you know, a slot machine mode. I'm just trying to like pull the slot machine and like win, win a game. <laughs> then I realized like, oh, okay, I'm not playing for improvement anymore. I'm just playing like literally... Uh, literally for the result it's just like completely completely you and it's just an online rating there's no like <laughs> titles or anything on on the line either so when I made that shift it it became a lot easier for me to just like recognize when I'm in that zone and then just stop playing um, because you you also recognize like when you're getting uh, tilted that you typically end up playing worse because you're just like I don't know, there, there's some kind of like rage going on in your head about something and it's like it's not helpful for like your chest. So it's like it, it's such a funny uh, tragedy because it's like you suddenly care a lot more about winning uh, and losing. And in the process, you're now putting yourself in a much greater position to actually lose the game because you're not focused on anything objective. You're just focused on like how badly you want to win, how badly you want to beat your opponent, things that have nothing to do with like what's going on in the position and like what's attacking what. And in a blitz game, it's like it's kind of important to just like <laughs> just be up on the tactics, just understand what's attacking what, like what's hanging, and you're like more likely to to win the game. Um, so yeah, I think it I think it's a big problem for for chess players and. Um, of course, like I think everything we're saying about blitz applies to bullet, but like three or five times greater, because in bullet there's you're not even like pretending to think about the opening. You're just you're just blitzing everything out right from the get go. And the point that you guys brought up, I, I I mentioned it on stream quite quite a bit actually. Like yeah, when you're blitzing, you're just you're just repeating what you already know, and you're just showing what your instincts are telling you. Um, but that's not actually a way to learn new ideas about the game and actually like improve your skills. Uh, and I really, uh, I really dislike it actually when newer players try to play Blitz because like, I mean, for me, it, it took years of like over the board play before I thought I had like any chance in Blitz. And I see a lot of players that haven't been playing for that long and like they try a Blitz game and it's like, well, yeah, like you, <laughs> you haven't really learned a whole lot. So your, your instincts are not going to be there for chess because it's like. I think people just see like streamers play blitz all the time. And so it just feels like, okay, that that's what chess is. It's like blitz chess is chess, but it's like, no, actually, I think a lot of players that are like the best players, the best blitz players in the world all like grew up playing like classical chess for many, many years. And then over time they got very good at blitz. It's not like you start out for six months and you're just like a good blitz player. Like that's just like not really a thing. Let, let me ask you guys a question that comes from the polls that were running here in chat. The first poll was, um, are you addicted to chess? Right. And, uh, we got about, you know, about two thirds of, of the respondents saying yes. And one third saying no. So, and now they're asking which of the three of us is the most addicted to blitz. Like if you uh -huh. measure the degree of our addiction, yeah. um, so I guess they're assuming that all three of us are, but let me ask each of you, Kostya, Jesse, are you addicted to chess or addicted to blitz chess? What what kind of a chess addiction do you have, if any? Um, I, I'm definitely addicted to chess. I mean, uh, I think it'll be, it's interesting too. I'm, you know, I'm going to play a tournament at the end of the month. It's the first real tournament in forever. My 
I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking at almost 40 years of playing chess. <laughs> I've never really stopped. And um, I think that, you know, it, it might, especially the way Costa was framing it, it might be uh, more value positive in the sense that when you're playing chess at a longer time control, you can dream about improvement and um, that can feel constructive, but it's nevertheless still an addiction. <laughs> I don't have any doubts about the fact that it's addiction. And um, I tried to quit chess at certain points in my life. Sometimes life came in the way and kind of got, got in the way of chess too. Um, but I never stopped playing. And I think um, when I think about you, David, one of the interesting things about your personal experience is you didn't, you, you kind of quit competitive chess around 2008, you know, when you started doing the whole chess.com thing. And I was, and I told, it was actually just a, a funny exchange because I remember telling you, I was like, dude, you're going to come back. I know you're going to come back and I know you're going to end up trying to make GM because that's who you are. And you were like, no, dude, no, that isn't me. I'm done with it all. And you had a narrative as to why you were done. And I was like, no, no, you're going to come back. Remains to be seen. <laughs> well, um, let me actually, let me answer the question. So for me, I want to be really careful about calling chess an addiction because I don't think it is in like the technical sense of the word, the furthest I'll mm -hmm. say is that it's like an addiction. Because nowadays okay. addiction, I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, medical word. And I think it comes with certain, um, like very, very specific characteristics. So for me, it's just, it, it's, uh, it's like an addiction. I would say the main, I think the main um, uh, factor for me is always just like, does it get in the way of productive things in your life? So mm. if, if someone is like just studying chess all the time and then like they're trying to become like a grandmaster or whatever, be like a professional player, I mean, like they're still like paying their bills and they have a family. Like to me, that's not an addiction. That's just like following your passion. I think it turns into addiction when it's like you are playing chess, like instead of doing work, you're playing chess instead of like uh, studying. It's like when it actually gets in the way and, and comes with um, actual like harms. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I don't know for me, that's, yeah, kind of like an important, uh, distinction. If you want, mm -hmm. if you want, I could call in a medical doctor. <laughs> to, to help I don't think that. they would call chess an addiction. Um, <laughs> I really doubt it. Okay. Would you I like mean, me I, to, would you like me to go grab a doctor real quick? <laughs> yeah, we, we, you can, we should ask yeah. Chloe. I'll be right oh. back while you, while you answer whether or not you are or not like addicted. Um, I don't think a doctor, I don't think Costa that a doctor is going to help. Um, and I don't believe the medical community can help us out with what addiction is. I, I'll say this, the thing about harm is kind of interesting. And one thing that's interesting too, just in terms of chess history, that's a difference between my generation and yours is that when I was coming up, it was naturally assumed to be a detrimental activity. No one thought you could play chess uh, to make a living and you would be laughed at if you said something like that. Um, and it was true that the people who were so-called professionals were dirt poor. 
just dirt poor. And, um, you know, if, if like anybody's parents saw those professionals, they didn't want their kid playing chess. At least they didn't want that kid saying, Oh, um, you know, I'm going to be a chess professional. So it then took on an aspect of a, in terms of how society saw it as being a harmful behavior. Whereas your generation is already chess, the chess boom has already been so big that anybody around you can recognize that, oh, you know, this, what Ghost is doing is a professional advocation. You know, it's something, it feels, it makes a much more positive feel than uh, from what it was for my generation. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does feel like there are um, much more opportunities to like make a living nowadays. Um, but yeah, I, I think I definitely have felt the same things when I, um, told my grandma I was going to be a chess player. She basically said something along the lines of like, you know, I'm just going to be starving my whole life. <laughs> like, why would uh, I want yeah. that? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I totally understand uh, from her perspective. Um, but yeah, I think that there are definitely a lot more opportunities now and you don't have to be like a 2800 to, to make a living anymore. So, um, the doctor gave me the answer that my younger brothers used to always love to give to every single question, which was Google it. <laughs> so, um, so here on this website here, there's a science, semi-scientific definition with a bunch of stuff in it. But one thing it says is people with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. Mm. Um, and Kostya had said before the thing about like, does it get in the way with your other activities, right? Do you not work because you need to play an extra chess game, right? Like, do you show up to your chess stream late because you're busy playing a <laughs> blitz chess game, <laughs> you know, or do you miss a chess lesson because you're busy playing a, a training game with a friend? Um, well, let me let me put something down. It is just my personal experience, but I think it's mirrored in a lot of other players uh, of, a, of a variety of levels. Uh, people I've coached who you know were rated 1500, 1600 as well, is that I think a key thing to understand for me, key thing to understand about our current society is the process of individuation has progressed so far that it is difficult for a narrative to arise that commands you to do what you're supposed to do. Let me be, that might sound a little abstract, so let me just flesh it out a little bit, right? Like we are no longer in a society where our roles are determined and our roles are given, right? Those could be gender roles, it could be gender roles of what we should work, what the kinds of things we should dress or the, how we should interact with others. All those things are left in a free-flowing environment. So then you get somebody like me encountering that world, and the way to give it structure is to create some kind of quest. It's the only way to define then what virtue is. Like, how is Jesse going to be virtuous in this world? Well, he's going to create some kind of goal and then mold myself in such a way to be an arrow to get to that goal, right? And I did that with uh, the philosophy PhD, 
which like the chess world is a very hierarchical world. And I was drawn to that world because people respected the people above you. And I can tell you definitely in the chess world, especially before computers, if, if you were a, even a master, people would look upon you as just a god. There would, there would be this reverence, in the, only in the chess world, mind you, not outside the chess world, but there'd be this reverence and it'd be like, oh, if I attain this status, what an incredible thing that would be. And I did it too with, when I wrote, wrote the novel. And the, the writing community is probably the most evil of all of them in terms of how mean they are to each other. Um, but in any case, all three of them, goals in which I uh, forced myself to become a certain thing so that I had uh, something clear to do in the world. And even when I'm doing something dumb like 2700 quests that I know is not completely essential to my being, it's still something like, well, gosh, I don't know what's going on in my world today, but I can go play some Blitz, right? And that's, I think, what millions of people are doing, right? They go online and there's something clear, it's defined, they've got a goal, and that turns in, it's, it's a little bit more, you could, if you want to argue that it's more than addiction, I'm fine with that, but it definitely has patterns of addiction because you do it over and over again, and there's a sense of comfort, a sense of like, oh, I know what I'm doing now with my life. Right. That's something that, you know, you just get when you follow a path like chess. Yeah, I, I, I feel that I feel like it's definitely like patterns of of addiction for me personally. Um, I don't know. I personally don't feel addicted to Blitz because there are many times like I'm playing a Blitz game and like, OK, Maya will call me over like she needs something like I'll just resign. Like, I just don't care. I'll just go like if I have to go do something or if I'm like late for something. I'm like, oh, this game is taking like, I'll just go. I don't care. But wow. if I have to respond to like a Facebook comment or like a tweet, that drives me crazy. Like I do feel addicted to, to social media um, that will like weigh on my brain. Like, oh, someone said something and now I have to like write a response. And like the longer I do it, it's like uh, it it affects me. And yeah, no matter how bad it might be for my life, it's like <laughs> difficult to stop. Thankfully, I was able to quit. Facebook. I don't know how I did it, but I spend mm -hmm. far less hours now on Facebook than I used to. Kosti, you sound pretty convincing there. I mean, being able to just resign and walk away without even a twinge or a care um, in a blitz game, that's pretty convincing. I feel like you wrongly won the poll for the most blitz addicted of the three senses <laughs> with, that, with that kind of answer. I actually got zero votes in that poll, but my own answer would be that I am addicted um both to chess and to you know blitz slash winning you know both of the two different propositions of different kinds of addiction that i mentioned earlier that would both be chess related um and the truth is when i don't play blitz chess i don't i don't like miss it or like hunger for it you know i don't have i don't have the shakes or anything like that uh -huh. so i would say you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mild or dormant, or I'm not going to use the right technical terms. Right. But it's like an addiction, which is definitely, you know, well hidden below the surface and doesn't like impact my life particularly often. But the other night when we were wrapping up a stream, I thought I'll just play one game. And I probably hadn't played blitz really in like months. I mean, like occasionally I do like a circumscribed thing where, you know, I practiced the opening of the week with one of our viewers for like 
an hour on stream so we can all see a few games or something like that. But to actually sit down and play Blitz just for myself or my Blitz rating or whatever, something I've maybe not done for months. I mean, it's very rare. But I sat down, I'm like, oh, I'll just play one game. And then, oh, I'll just play one more game. And then, you know, and, and uh, you know, when you were saying like, do you miss work for Blitz? I mean, I missed probably 45 minutes of sleep because it was that time of day. You know, it wasn't like I was supposed to do more work, but I was supposed to go to sleep. I probably missed 45 minutes of sleep playing Blitz there pointlessly. And when I stopped, I wanted to keep playing. I was just like, dude, you got to get up in like a few hours, um, uh, which I'd already been saying to myself for a few games. So I believe that even if I'm not like actively participating in it, there's a certain pathway in my brain that is so well-worn that it could lie fallow for 10 years. You could put me somewhere without like internet connection, without anybody who knows chess in some other society where, you know, all I can do is like work the soil and feel the sweat drip out of every pore. And that's all I do for 10 years. And then, you know, they pick me up in a, in a helicopter, fly me back to this kind of a civilization and put me in front of a screen and say, Hey, can you just play two blitz games real quick? People want to see how they used to do it 10 years ago. And I'll play those two blitz games. And I bet you, I'll want to play a third. I bet you, I won't be like, yeah, cool. Let's go back to farming. You know? So I think it's like, it's ingrained. And I've heard, I've heard people talk about this before. I think when people sort of like quit some kind of substance problem, right? But when they go to meetings or they talk to like their sponsors or other people in, in the recovery community, I think they always say, I'm an addict, even if they've been clean for two years or six years or, or 20 mm -hmm. years. I think that's, and you guys yeah, can yeah. correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, because my only experience mm -hmm. of this is really from like TV shows and stuff. Mm. Um, but I, I can totally understand that now because it's like, you know, right now I haven't played blitz chess for one day or whatever, you know, but, you know, even if it were 10 years, I think I would still be in a sense addicted to blitz, even if I weren't doing it. Yeah. So, okay. Sounds like there's actually three types of chess addiction so far. There's like the raging, I want to play like online blitz and, and crush my opponents right now. Um, there's like the dormant chess addiction, which we see from a lot of people who go into other professions, like they quote unquote quit chess but then they still play like an open tournament every now and then because they, they miss it. They still want to play even though they're like in the finance world or lawyers or doctors, but they still want to like play um, serious events. And then I feel like the third kind is um, maybe like the, the Fisher kind that someone mentioned in the chat. Like, okay, Fisher was a guy who would just spend like all day, every day, like working on chess. And I don't think he was, I don't think he was like, you know, playing tilted blitz. I think he was actually like working on the game, right? So it's kind of like this obsessive compulsive, um, which I've definitely been there. Like, you know, just you want to work on chess all the time. You want to wake up and work on it. You want to like work on it until you're like too tired to, to do it anymore. Um, not necessarily harmful, but like can can, of course, have negative uh, drawbacks uh, later yeah. on. And I have that one, too. I have that one, too. Yeah. So you wish you could just like study all the time. Yeah, if my calendar were cleared to just like read every single chess book in the entire world, I would probably read them all without ever being like, oh, let's go do something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be nice. I think, you know, the other thing we could touch on, I think is important here too, is like um, there's different uh, levels just of addictive personalities in general. 
And I would definitely, I'm not a heavily addictive personality, but I'm, can, I know for certain that I'm much more of an addictive personality than David is. And I'm pretty sure Kosi as well. And let me just say like, David's a really interesting person if, you know, compared to the rest of society in that David doesn't drink. He doesn't do, he doesn't do coffee, coffee. <laughs> he doesn't do anything like that. And I've never seen outside of chess, David have a habit that seems addictive, right? Whereas every buddy else in my life, I can be, there's some aspect of addiction that uh, they have. And our society is really good at, at giving us addiction, right? There's all kinds of things that, to, that every time you look at anything online or you just leave the house, addictions are just calling out to you. They're <laughs> just calling out to you. And David is immune. He's immune. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, I don't feel immune. Um, it just sounds like it's better like hidden with me or like I cope better or something. Well, has there been anything outside of chess you would say you were addicted to? World of Warcraft. Maybe that one. Sure, plenty of things. When I was in college, there was um, there was a TV in my dorm, and I hadn't had a TV growing up, and I just mm. like sat in front of the TV for hours, and you know mm. missed classes and stuff like that. Um, that's an example. Um, I like to have like an hour to myself, like quiet. Once everyone else is asleep, that impinges on my sleep. But like, no matter how late everyone in my family stays up, like I need a little bit of, of, of peace at the end of the day. And Costa just stopped when, when, when he set me off on my addictions, he, he just stopped. He just was like, no, I'm going to pull back from this. <laughs> I was like, what, buddy? What are you doing? Well, because I, I was abandoned. I was mindful about my intentions. I knew like why I was doing it to start. And then those reasons didn't exist for me anymore. So it's like Yeah. And and for the most part, I'm gonna call BS on the mindfulness stuff because I think we when you frame it like that, you're framing as it as if it's a rational decision. And I don't think it actually is. I think, you know. We create visions of ourselves like I'm deciding this. And in fact, it's something deeper inside you. Like here's, here's a fascinating thing about addiction that I definitely applies to chess addiction. Um, this is pretty, I, I, I learned about it recently. I don't know how recent it is, but there's this fantastic new research about heart rate variability. Have you guys heard about this? It is stunning research. Um, basically, you know, you have two kinds of nervous systems. You have one that's like a fight or flight nervous system, and you have the other nervous system that's dealing with all your organs, your kidneys, your junk inside, all that stuff. And that stuff you're not you're not even aware of. You know, it's not like your mind is telling those organs to go do something. Anyway, so the heart rate variability is when you go fight or flight, when your mind gets anxious, your heart rate variability stays the same. But when you're repairing, when your internal organs are in repair and doing their stuff, then there's a greater heart rate variability. And I know this sounds abstruse and weird, but it's very measurable that the people who are have addiction personalities um, have more of a fight or flight uh, tendency in their heart rate variability i.e. they don't have much heart rate variability. So like heart rate variability is actually a good thing. It sounds like at first, oh, that'd be a bad thing if you had more heart rate variability. Right. And so this is a very measurable thing that predicts addiction 
uh, disease, you know, whether you can make any progress in anything, like let's say you do have an athletic pursuit and you want to make progress in it. Well, then your heart rate variability will be predictive, highly predictive of that as well. Anyways, I'm just trying to say like, when we say things like, well, I was mindful of it and therefore I stopped, you know, I, I think, no, there's deeper things going on. That's just all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. Right. I mean, I'm sure there could be all kinds of like biological factors for me. Mindfulness is not about like making a rational decision, just more about kind of like dissolving um, uh, illusions and just kind of like, uh, I don't know, I guess trying to reflect honestly, which I think can generally like bring up just things that you're like not really thinking about. Oh, like, yeah, so many times like I'm playing Blitz and then I, I catch myself thinking like, wait, why am I doing this? Like, oh, it's because I have an article I don't want to write. Like, that's why I'm doing mm-hmm. it, right? Not because, oh, I want to practice my whatever. <laughs> so yeah. it can be helpful, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why that wouldn't have some effect on on kostya's life right if he stops and reflects about things i can understand that that would that that could reduce or control to some extent depending on other factors yeah um yeah in general i don't know i i I found mindfulness to actually just be absolutely brilliant like i found like when i feel angry or frustrated with with someone and i like reflect on it Usually I'm actually just angry and frustrated about something that doesn't really have anything to do with that person. They're just kind of like pressing on some, some button Mm. and it's like, yeah, it's like, no, it's not helpful to be angry at them. Uh, okay. Example I'll give like someone in in Twitch chat makes like an innocuous joke that like rubs me the wrong way and I get frustrated, but it has nothing to do with them. They're just like trying to be like friendly and bantering. Uh, and it's just like hits me the wrong way. So I think mindfulness can be very helpful to kind of like, I guess, keep yourself in check i mean bubba i think that we have been doing chess for a really long time i think there's a long they're definitely long-term pattern trends and i think like when i was in college there was probably a period where i would play like blitz through the whole night and like it wasn't what i wanted to do or needed to do and wasn't healthy for me and went on for long periods of time and i I think that's still, as I said, it's still like a pathway I can, I can go down very easily. Um, even if I don't anymore, very frequently do that. Um, I, should we move on to another question? Well, let me actually talk about that just briefly, because in terms of the addiction, what, one of the things historically that was very interesting is, you know, uh, David and me, especially me, didn't grow up having the uh, access, Bubba Tuft as well, didn't grow up having the access to Blitz Chess Online. And of course, we had played Blitz, you know, at tournaments on the side, maybe with some friends at a club, at some restaurant, some dirty restaurant in the middle of the night, we played Blitz Online, but we didn't have access to the internet. Well, when the ICC became available around 97, Internet Chess Club, 1997 is my memory of it. Um, It was a new drug on the scene and it was astounding what happened. Like one of the, it was just this epic uh, trend of chess players 
getting incredibly addicted. And one of the things about the ICC is some, some cutesy programmer came up with the idea that when you looked at your profile or somebody else's, you would see their percent spent playing blitz, percent of their life spent playing blitz. And the, the numbers were astounding. Yeah. The numbers were astounding, man. It was just incredible how much time I and everybody else was doing it. And I think one way in which you could talk about various addictions of all kinds of drugs is think of it as a virus. So when a virus first enters a community, it really explodes. And um, it's only when the community kind of learns to adapt to it that it recedes. It doesn't go away, but it recedes. And it's almost like this new push of chess that's happened in the last year has been a new explosion for, a, you know, it's gone beyond just players with a little bit of experience like me and it's gone out to the general public. <laughs> the virus has exploded to the general public for the addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an important point though about the, the online chess is that actually, yeah, it's become so much more available that that has to be a part of it. Um, yeah, when I was growing up, if I wanted to play Blitz, I would have to play against someone. Someone would have to be a willing participant. Someone would have to be like just as addicted as as I am. Um, now online, you can just play twenty four seven. So there's no, there are no natural stops to to that thing. So, yeah, I feel like it, the fact that it's so much more um, available now. Uh, has to be wait, Costa. Wait a sec, though. I mean, 1997. You were you you hadn't even started playing chess yet. Uh, no, I was already attending my first tournament, 97. But I didn't I join ICC for many years. I didn't join oh, until I was I like a teenager. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, the only chess I played growing up was just over the board. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, once it becomes just available 24 seven, then if, if if there's some trigger in it or some something that you're getting out of like uh, the rating gain, then yeah, it just feels very, very compelling to play. You know, actually I'll just share a funny story that we were talking about addiction. One of the signs of addiction that it's a harmful behavior either toward yourself or others. And I have vivid memories. You know, I was in Germany at the time, uh, around 97, 98, 99, when I got really addicted. And, um, you know, back then I didn't have, it wasn't a thing where you had your own computer. You had to like go to an internet center and you had all these computers and people would be kind of in line to get onto one of these portals to the internet. Well, it became a real problem because Jesse would go in there hours to hours. And I remember people behind me seeing that I was playing and being like, this isn't serious. Get the F off, buddy. You know, and I'd be like, no, I'm staying. And I would do ways to like hide the board from other people. You know, I'd get the computer at the side of the room so no one could see what I was doing. And I was like, oh my, I'd forgotten everything else about my life at that point. So right. It was definitely... It's, and it's interesting, right? Because like now when you play it by yourself and it's your own computer, it doesn't feel quite as harmful as it did then because then it was like, not only am I hurting other people who want to get online, but they're looking at me and being like, this is, this is uh, addictive behavior, buddy. This isn't correct. You know? <laughs> so it has that social judgment quality too that I think is critical about addiction. And I think one of the things about positive and negative is, does society recognize what you're doing as something good? 
I think it's key. Like chess has actually grown to be far more acceptable than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Far more acceptable, you know, yeah. uh, especially among women. When I was a kid growing up, it was not cool with women that you were playing chess. And it's still not great, let me just say it, but it's still, it's much improved, you know? So your standing in the society is just, it's not seen as addictive if it's not seen as something uh, self-destructive or nasty or whatever, you know? Yeah, the majority of people that I've met um, being you know a little younger than you guys have just been uh, impressed with the chess thing. I've, mm-hmm. I've met very little like oh like you're a chess player like <laughs> this kind of like uh disgust or or look um looking down upon um i would imagine it's similar to how people maybe treat like poker players as well like yeah you just play games for a living <laughs> actually one funny thing about me and mr Proust in berkeley is he and his brother would play magic the gathering mm-hmm. And I remember feeling a negative judgment on that game. Yep. In the same way that I think the rest of society does. So I had like an insight. I was like, oh, the way I feel about Magic the Gathering, people have been viewing my chess all these years and I never got it. (laughs) You didn't just feel it. You broadcasted it. You gave us the social (laughs) feedback. (laughs) Yeah. But then you saw the wizards out straight out of Mordor and you realized oh, that, yeah, it the, pretty, that it was I pretty love, cool. I love the wizards out of Mordor, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here's here's another question then, mm. if, if I may. Yeah. Um, do you believe that there are any like IMGM professional level chess players who are not addicted to chess? Can somebody become... 2500 feet a without being addicted i don't think so no Mm -mm. there's so much time that that person had to put in and the people who did stop uh stopped pretty much cold turkey um and my favorite example is when wesley so was a kid and he beat ivanchuk in the match ivanchuk said i'm quitting chess and then my joke for years afterwards was Chucky can quit chess, but chess can't quit Chucky. He <laughs> you know? couldn't quit. There was no quitting for dude. Yeah. You know, it was totally impossible. I'm with Jesse. I think the answer is like a clear no. And that's part of the reason when people tell me like, I'm going to become a GM or whatever. Sometimes I can just do like a quick check and say, no, you're not. Because if you look into their eyes and they're not like an addict, you're like, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to compete with somebody who is an addict. Right, right. There's, there's no way, you know. So that's one of the ways that I can tell someone like, well, yeah, you I mean, you could become a good player, but I'm looking at you and you're like a normal person. <laughs> so, so it's never going to happen because you just won't put in the hours that they did. People are like, I study so hard. I study like three hours a day. And I'm, I'm laughing. I mean, I did 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no chance for someone doing three hours a day. Well, yeah. I, I think the reason that question is just so ridiculous is that it makes uh, it makes no difference what you say in response to the question, whether someone can become a GM. It's like your answer has like no, no effect on the actual truth of the situation. Like if they can like if someone can become a GM, it's like, I don't know. I, the, the point they is like they should just they want- be able to do it. <laughs> 
you know, they're, they're asking a fortune teller. And in, and in the case of, you know, what are my prospects in chess for like an average dude or dudette, they come in here, they ask, you know, a sensei, like, what are my prospects in chess? And we kind of are fortune tellers and we can tell them like, yeah, you could become an expert. You could become a 2200. No, you're not going to be a GM. Sorry. Uh-huh. Um, one question that Mitch put out was like, use that is the same. Does that mean that you, you have to be addicted at any career to be good at it? And let me just say from my own personal experience, you know, like I can call myself a chess professional, but in many ways, what I'm actually am as a teacher, am I addicted to being a teacher? No, but I, ha- I do have, if I have any kind of natural gift, sure. Sure. Teaching is very easy for me. I don't even need to work at it. It's just an easy thing I do. I think a lot of people are natural teachers. And so, no, I think there's a lot of jobs that you can do out there in the world where you don't have to be addicted to, you know, but chess, you know, when you, when you think about the the top levels of players, yeah, we're, we're talking about a bell curve where we're way out here on the end, buddy. <laughs> we're way up here on the end. We're not here in the middle. You know, as a teacher, what am I? Maybe I could be the 60th percentile or something like that. Not so special. I'm not on the hundredth or whatever. And even if I was, it wouldn't make that much of a difference how successful I was as a teacher. You know, different, different category altogether. Yeah. That's my answer also is basically it depends on the economics of the labor market in whatever field that somebody's asking about, right? So if you want to be a professional chess player, which is inherently like a competitive thing, then you need that addiction to be the best at it, right? But there are people who are professionally some job or other and suck at their job, right? And it's still their job. So if you sucked at chess, you couldn't be a professional chess player, right? Like if you were 800, you couldn't play in tournaments with Magnus and earn like hundreds of thousands of dollars. You just couldn't do it. But there are plenty of people doing all kinds of other jobs that they do badly. Well, ergo, yeah. they don't need to be professionals. Yeah. I mean, ergo, they don't need to be addicts who've put in 50,000 hours mastering it. They just go to work, you know, sort of do the job and, and come home and, and leave the mm-hmm. job there. I mean, we never leave chess at the tournament when we come home. And, and, you know, let's just say it. The other really beautiful thing about chess, and one of the reasons that I've, one of the reasons of my addiction to it is that it's honest and, and the rest of the world isn't honest. It's not like, and what I mean by that is in any other job that you're doing, it's going to matter who you know, it's going to matter how you can interact with people and play that game. And it's not really going to be primarily, usually not primarily about whatever skill set it is you have. And chess, it doesn't matter. It's, it's really, oh, it's so beautiful that anybody can walk into the world of chess and play. There's no gatekeeping. I mean, like when me, like it's a hilarious thing happened when we were talking about who can become a GM or who can become expert or whatever. And some of the chat in the chat was like, oh, you guys are gatekeeping. The beauty of chess, there's no gatekeeping. <laughs> I yeah. can say whatever I want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect your ability to come into the game. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. Um, but there is gatekeeping when it comes to like chess, like work. Like if you want to be working in the chess like industry, then I think all the same things still apply. It's still like you have to network with people. You have to like be cordial and professional. Otherwise, like people won't want to like work with you. Yeah. Um, but if I you want to be like a true chess professional, like playing games, 
Yeah. If you come in as Bobby Fisher, people can hate you all you want. You don't have any friends or family who were in the industry before you. If you win every game you play, like that's it. There's no gates. Right. Right. There's no gates. Yeah. So um, is it necessary to be an addict to get like to IM and GM? I mean, yeah, again, I, it always just depends on how you define the word, the word addict. But um, like, I feel like all the people that I've seen who've made huge progress, so not just title players, but someone who went from like 1400 to like 1800 in like a year or something, or like they gained hundreds of rating points. Um, I definitely seen lots of club players who were like, you know, they're like 1600, but you see them, they're like super motivated. Um, they're hundred percent like growth mindset. Like they love playing high rated players. They love like losing those games and learning from those games. Like you can just tell like, okay, they're going to be gaining a lot of points soon. Cause like their, their mindset is perfect. It's like, they just want to improve. They're super motivated on it. They're not like hard on themselves. Um, I don't know if I would call that necessarily like <laughs> an addiction, but there is a sense of, uh, I've always felt like I couldn't improve at chess unless it was like my number one priority. So if I had something else going on, like I have, I don't know, a big project at school or like, uh, I mean, I haven't had like a real job in many years, but like if I had like a real job or something um, or like some other passion, something that's like taking up my time, if chess isn't like my number one thing, I feel like it's uh, much harder for me to improve. And the only times where I did improve was because I spent like, weeks or months on end where it was like my number one goal it was like the thing i thought about like first day in the morning it was the thing like my life always like revolved around like okay i gotta go to classes but then i'm like getting back to what really counts um it's only when i was in that state of mind that i felt like i made the most significant progress yes you make an interesting point but if i could go off on a random tangent that adds nothing to our discussion what real jobs have you had, Kostya? I'm curious. I don't. I don't actually know of any outside chess um, uh, career of yours. I I interned one summer at a bank. At a bank, financial bank. Yeah. So Kostya uh, is a chess player slash banker. I just our chat likes to know little tidbits. Yeah. About you. So no, that's I think I mentioned this um, before. It was around the time I decided I wanted to go into into chess. I was um, studying business, and uh, yeah, you you know they always say like, whatever you do in college, you need to get like internships and stuff to give you better chances for grad school. So yeah. I found some internship. Just it's just horrible, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> you gotta show up at the same time in the morning. You have to wear fancy clothes just because that's that's the culture that's what everyone else does like you gotta rock a suit Uh yeah it was so it was around that time that I started thinking like maybe I don't want this to just be my life for the next uh 50 years so for sure Kostya is not addicted to banking or to showing up somewhere in the morning those are two addictions he doesn't have anti-addictions cool Jesse, would you like to regale us with the grand theory of improvement and addiction? Oh, I, I kind of, I, I kind of did already. I, oh, I, good. I, I, I feel, I feel like this thing I'm, I'm turned on to about uh, our society becoming more individual, in, individualized, individuated, uh, and the lack of meaning, the lack of narrative structure that's put on us by our families or society you know, creates people like me who then don't have any structure and then need something like 
what you could call an addiction or a path, something where I have meaning and can mold myself to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, this boom, you know, especially imagine it, you know, imagine, and, and I've had several students contact me in the last year, which very much reflect this. You're out there and your current job has collapsed for whatever reason, or your, your normal routine of life has co collapsed. And then you start playing blitz online because it's something to do. And there's some kind of goal that you might have. And then after a while, you're not making progress. And that's when they write to me. And I, over this last year, I can't tell you how many people have written and been like, dude, you need to help me, you know? And, um, a, a lot of, and, and, you know, whether I helped the, you know, the people I did end up helping a lot of that was just being like, dude, we got to stop playing the blitz. <laughs> we got to stop. And then I was a heretic. I was a hypocrite on that uh, note because then I was doing 2,700 quests at the same time that I was telling them that. Yeah. yeah. But at least you're doing it on stream. So there is some benefit out of you um, playing because people got enjoyment out of that and they could watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, people were asking if they could be addicted to watching dojo. <laughs> let, me, let me just say, guys, that's fine. I mean, this is a community. Here. <laughs> like, we're, all, we're all friends. You, know, you can be addicted to hanging out with your friends. I think that's a very healthy, <laughs> healthy yeah. addiction. Yeah. People, people were upset when I stopped 2700 Street. They were like, dude, what's going on? I'm caught with 12 symptoms. <laughs> I was doing that all the time. Yeah. Uh, oh, in the yeah, meantime, we're creating addicts with our um, our predictions on Twitch. Uh, it's gotten to the point where um, one of our mods will actually, and I'm not not calling them out in a bad way. I just think it's funny. Um, you know, the U.S. chess school lectures that we have are not uh, exactly the most engaging with Twitch because they're mm -hmm. like teaching the class in Zoom. So what people do is they'll post a link in the chat to like a current chess game that's happening, and then they'll bet on the game. <laughs> as the presenter they're doing this the other day as the presenter is like giving their lecture so the game's not even happening on screen someone will just post the link in chat like here's the game we're watching danya versus brandon jacobson or whatever <laughs> and then people will gamble with their dojo gold <laughs> betting on that game and they always call this a healthy community we have <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, and, and I think, you know, actually what we should bring in is that the cheating phenomenon, I think has to do with the addiction because at some level people uh, come into it and then they feel entitled to reach some kind of number. And the interesting thing then is then they can create a rationalization for then using the engine. A lot of times with the thought of like, well, everybody else is doing it. So I'm allowed to juice or whatever it is that they say they're going to do to get to that number. So I feel like that's one of the interesting things about cheating is that it wasn't, it, you know, it just, it wasn't criminals or people you would normally think of as criminals that were the ones getting caught doing it. It was people who had an addiction and needed to get to the next level of the addiction. Now, for example, actually, let me give you a fun example just for myself. Uh, to get to Kostya's puzzle rush thing, I bought this mouse. You know, before I had a cheap Amazon mouse that was 10 bucks and this was 30 bucks, I hit my high score immediately. I hit my high score immediately. And then I you juiced. I juiced. And then I was uh, so addicted to the blitz chest that my eyes started hurting. And then people in the chat were like, dude, what you need are like these blue light glasses. 
Well, look at this, dude. I got myself some blue light glasses right as I finished the quest. I got myself the blue light glasses so I could hang out in front of the computer forever and not have to have my eyes hurt. So, you know, I mean, that's signs of addiction. Signs yeah. of addiction. <laughs> yeah. Not only addiction to the, the activity itself, but getting that number, whatever that is, you know. Yeah. yeah, the rationalizations with cheating are, are just insane. Like people, I think there are people out there that are thinking like um, they're just checking their moves against the engine, you know, making sure it's like not a blunder. I think it's like ego. I think this whole thing is is just ego. And I think it, um, actually someone asked in the Discord about like, you know, why it's like hard to to stop playing when you're, you're like losing a lot of games or it's like, why does it feel? Um, oh, the question is actually an interesting question for everyone is like, why does it feel worse to lose than it feels good to win? Uh, I think that is true for a lot of chess players. And I think the answer to that is just like ego. Like if you expect to win most of your games, then winning is not going to be as exciting. That's the expectation. And losing will be a big, a big letdown. So that's how, that's how it feels like um, to me. Not that I'm not upset uh, by losing. Of course I am. But um, I think yeah. if it really drives you crazy, then I feel like there's something going on with the ego. Um, because yeah, losing shouldn't, it shouldn't be like the end of your world. As David said at the beginning of your show, you're going to lose about half your games on average. <laughs> Over the course of your life. Just how it works. <laughs> Unless you're a strong streamer who then starts playing against viewers in your chat, then you can bump up your winning percentage. Yeah, gradually. that's the only way. No, but then the losses <laughs> hurt even more. <laughs> <laughs> David, let me ask you a personal question as we kind of wind this up here. So one of the things that I'm curious about you is, you know, when I made this prediction in 2008, right? When you kind of, let me just, let me just frame it. So David was going to go off to work pretty much full-time with chess.com. And the rationale he had was like, well, this is just my recollection of it, David. You can correct me, but like, well, um, I, I'm at the point in my life now where I recognize that I'm not going to be able to create the kind of artistry that these other great players like Magnus and others are doing. And since I can't give that contribution to the world, I'm going to step back and then do something else. And then, right, I was predicting, as you said yourself, there's like a groove in your brain and it's going to bring you back. And so I'm curious now, and I, I honestly don't know. It's like, you know, I, I feel like this lure, you know, all you, David has all his norms, his GM norms. So he just has to reach 2,500. It'd be a mammoth task and everything. But then every time we talk about it, you kind of poo-poo it. But at the same time, I see you doing training online. I'm like, oh, he's, he's getting kind of serious, you know? So, I mean, I'm serious about, I'm serious about my training. That's true. And I'm serious about like the, the journey and the practice of putting in effort and concentrating and focusing and, you know, calculating and all of that. But for me, it's actually all just for my health, not for the GM title. You know, like if I make it to the national open with Kostya, which is a big if, right? But, you know, if I show up to a tournament at some point, goal is not going to be to get FIDE rating points, you know? And, and sure, every now and then someone comes into my stream and they say, I looked David up, his FIDE rating is 2336. And I like grimace. I'm like, 36? 
Like, come on, I'm a 2,400 player. Why is my, my why is my resting rating for like 10 years going to be 2,336? It's like, I'm not mm. 80 years old yet. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have that rating. It's a little tingle there, but if I show up to the national open, you know, I don't think of that on my own. It's not going to be because like, I want my rating to be 2,400 or 2,500. It's just going to be because I think that playing chess is good for my brain. Guys, That's I it. I have to take um, a real quick break, but keep talking. I'll be back. All right. Okay. Well, so, this is the opportunity to just grill you then. Buddy. Yeah, yeah, grill me. <laughs> oh, so you're saying, I don't understand, why wouldn't it be a cool way to uh, at least measure your studying and your improvement to be like, okay, I, I want to achieve X number, you know, could be 2,500, could be something else, right? Yeah. I mean, I've got nothing against setting some kind of goal, but in general, the goals that I set for myself now are more process oriented and less like result driven. And I understand that in a sense, a result is like a great way of measuring overall, you know, everything together. Right. Mm-hmm. Um which is reasonable and fine and fair. I've got nothing against that kind of like goal, but, um, but typically when I go to a tournament, it, it just throughout my life, it's never suited me the best and different people respond better to different goals. Right. I know that it doesn't particularly work well for me to go to a tournament. And the goal is I'm trying to gain 15 rating points, or I'm going to play in six tournaments this year. And the goal is to finish the year at, you know, 2385 or something like that. Like that kind of goal has never really uh, works very well for me. And the kind of goal that I use now is the kind of goal that does work well for me. You know, we have to figure out what that is for each of us and then deploy that kind of goal. Maybe that kind of goal works well for you. Cause I mean, you made 2,700 without pre-moves that's, you know, and you clearly, you know, improved at blitz, if not at chess. Um, but for me, the kind of goal that like works well is like, I'm going to go into this tournament And when I get bad positions, I'm going to be resilient, right? Or I'm going to go into this kind of tournament. And when I get this type of position, I'm going to be like looking to work on my patience. Mm -hmm. Those those are the kind of goals that happen to work well for me, you know? And so those are the goals I use. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell a funny story about you, David. I think highlights uh, a little bit about addiction. So first for myself, one thing that I've struggled with for years now is like, you can call it an eating disorder. You can call it whatever you want, but like, I haven't been able to lose weight because I got, I, I have an eating problem, you know, like, I mean, gazillion other people on the planet right now. Um, so that of course is an interesting kind of addiction because you can't do without food, right? You can't go cold Turkey on food. And the thing that came to mind just then is this hilarious thing where uh, there was at one point I was having breakfast with David and he's like, well, I'm quitting women. <laughs> I'm quitting women, David said. I thought that was the most hilarious thing. But I was, and it, but it kind of took me back as he said it in a very earnest way. And I was like, you know what? This is like, if anyone would be able to quit something like women, it would be David. And I was, and of course it didn't work for David, poor guy, but it was an interesting statement because kind of like the food question, right? It's like kind of an an, an impossibility to escape from. Um, And 
you know, one reason I brought it up in terms of this chess addiction thing is I think in a very similar way, I, I don't think my mind could escape chess. Like, I think I like what you said, David, about the groove in your brain, kind of like the alcoholics, right? If they, even if they're 10 years sober, they're, <laughs> they're still an addict when they go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? I, I mean, Jesse, I, I, I do agree with you that I think if there were something that I really wanted to stop doing, I could for almost everything, you know, other than things like, you know, breathing or eating that are going to kill you pretty quickly. But yeah, no, you know. I think you're peculiar that you're amazing. That oh, Actually, here's, I'm going to tell another funny story. <laughs> I hope it's not as funny as the last one. <laughs> This one uh, was, so this has to do with quitting something. And this is this is hilarious thing. So David has a superpower. And um, I'm just going to relate this. It has, it has a do, to do with willpower. And it's actually, <laughs> I know what this is. This is very, it's still, it, I tell this story sometimes to friends because, and they're like, what? But here it goes. So um, when David was like, let's imagine David as a middle schooler or high school, he got somehow the idea in his head that public restrooms were very nasty and he couldn't use them. So yeah. he then- Should I tell you how it happened, Jesse? Well, let me finish and then we'll- You wanna tell us, okay. Yeah, and then you can tell us how it happened. But I think that the thing about willpower is really interesting because, yeah. you know, I have, by the way, I think it's definitely been worth negative 50 rating points to me that I, especially when I get anxious during a game, I'm running to the tournament uh, bathroom all the time. It's like I'm running. Yeah. I'm running and I have to go a lot because I get nervous and I see other players doing it. I'm one of the worst offenders. Um, anyways, so David trained himself and then now he doesn't have to use the restroom like most dudes do. And we were on this flight from San Francisco to Beijing and it was a, it was a horrendously long flight. And David didn't use the bathroom once. <laughs> and I was like, dang, that's a superpower, man. And then, and right, so in the tournament, he doesn't have to go to the restroom. It's a whole superpower thing. And it has to do with willpower. And I think like this thing about addiction with David, it's like, I think he's a great example of somebody who can, can quit things much easier, much easier than other people. You know, when I think of addictive personalities, you for me, David, are way down there on, on the opposite end of somebody who's not an addictive personality. Yeah. Well, the spider bite, Jesse, the spider bite was that I was a kid once at a restaurant with my parents and the restroom wasn't in the restaurant. It was like you go out in some like, you know, mall or hallway uh -huh. or whatever, and then you go and you go into this restroom and I must have been like pretty small slash young, like maybe seven or eight years old. And uh, I went into the restroom and I immediately felt uncomfortable. There were some like really big, you know, like, like tough looking kids there, maybe high schoolers, who knows if I was really little, maybe they were middle schoolers and they looked big and tough to me or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, there's some like tough looking kids. And I sort of like hurried into the stall and closed the stall to go do my thing. And then they started lighting stuff on fire and throwing it into the stall. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so that was, that was like, I'm not going to restrooms anymore. I was like terrified in there, like, fl you know, flaming things like flying in at uh -huh. me, like, you know, pieces of like, I don't know, paper towels and things like that. Um, so, so then I quit. Yeah. I yeah. quit using the bathroom. Well, Coach, you got any final words for us, buddy? Wait, what did I miss? 
Oh, you got to go watch the VOD like everybody yeah. else, my friend. Yeah. Download the podcast. Go for a run. It'll be good for your health. That's right. <laughs> um, don't, don't use the restroom the whole time you're out either. <laughs> well, we'll end with, okay. Uh, guys, be nice to each other. Be nice to yourselves. Um, try to remember you're playing for the fun and the enjoyment of learning and not because you just want to be some special number, whatever it could be, 1800, 1600. It's all arbitrary. If your rating is 1797, you're basically 1800. It doesn't mean like, oh, you never got. <laughs> so don't drive yourselves crazy. Be nice mm -hmm. to yourselves. That would be my takeaway. Yeah, I don't know how fast Jesse needs to run, but I thought that one really good thing that we should cover at least briefly at the end of the show is if we have any suggestions for people who have addictions, because mm -hmm. the reason that I wanted to do this Dojo Talks show, and I know we all had different reasons, but one of the reasons I wanted to do it is people were coming into chat and they're asking me like, you know, I'm addicted, help me, <laughs> basically different variations on that, right? Like, mm -hmm. I can't stop playing Blitz, or I, I'm always on tilt, like I don't enjoy chess anymore, but I can't stop playing it, you know, they'd be like, I, I I, I'm playing chess and I hate it. What should I do? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe like take a break. And they're like, I can't take a break. So, so that was one of the big reasons I wanted to do this. So do you guys have any tips for people who are in some kind of like hell where they're not having fun and they're playing and. Um, I think, you know, recognize that it's going to be similar to the other addictions in your life. And Mr. Proust doesn't really have a problem with addictive behavior and a guy like me does. And so for, for me, setting some kind of hard ceiling, like making it a quest and then telling yourself you're going to stop is a way to at least stop the bingy behavior with the blitz. But like we said, I mean, in terms of chess in general, it's going to continue on in my life and it's something I'm just accepting. <laughs> it's part of my, uh, my chess addiction is uh, a large part of who I am. That's just, you know, and I'm, I, I don't have any medical qualms about calling it an addiction because it's a pattern of behavior that's repeated itself throughout my life and a joyful one too. Yeah. Um, well, the advice I would give actually um, quick shout out to Greg Shahadi who did, uh, I think a really actually useful video on how he avoids tilt. Um, his method is basically to just track all your games um, you, you basically just set like a bright line for yourself. If you're going to play a blitz game or any blitz games, then after the game, you're going to write down your rating at the start of the game. You're going to write down your opponent's rating. Um, you're going to write down like whether you won or lost or like what your performance result was, um, win or lose, you know, plus minus 400. Um, and then, and then at the end of each day, you like average out your games for that day and just see like what your performance rating was for that day. And that I think can be very helpful for people who like, yeah, drives them, themselves crazy because they play way too much and then they can't stop and then they lose, but they like keep, keep playing even though they're not having fun. If you force yourself to like track your games, uh, I think that can be really, really useful. Um, what I would also suggest is to have um, two accounts. Uh, so I do have like alt accounts. I do have my, my binge accounts where I just, I, I don't make any restrictions on what I do on those accounts. Right. So I'm not messing up my own rating when I'm like playing a bunch of games and like playing bullet or messing around. I'm just messing around with some 
random account. So if you feel like there are times where you just can't stop playing, but then you're like, oh man, why did I do this to myself? I'm like down a hundred points <laughs> from, from this place where I worked so hard. Have a separate account, you know, have a, have a binge account. You have your serious account and you have your, um, your binge account. I think there are lots of little habits you can, um, you can, you can use. I, I've said this many times with the book, like Atomic Habits and those habit books, those are some of the most <laughs> useful books for chess players. Cause there's like so much advice in there on how to avoid like bad habits, how to strengthen your good habits. And um, ultimately it, it kind of does come down to motivation. I think like if, um, if the goal is to become a GM or 2200 or whatever it is, it's like, you know, if you're kind of willing to do whatever it takes to get there, then you have to frame it in the right way. So you have to frame it in the sense that like your addiction to blitz chess is hurting your actual um, goal. And then maybe you have a chance to like not do it as much. Yeah, which brings up a good point because I said earlier on the show that I think all IMs and GMs are addicted to chess or, you know, or, or were um, or had to be. Um, but I would also say that most IMs and GMs have great self-discipline like what Jesse and I were just talking about with me, like very, very disciplined, but also like an addict. So like you go all in on it, but you can also stop and reflect and like, you know, do work and think about what, what parts of it are helping you or not to get to goals that you set up. Even though I don't currently make goals like 2,500, I used to. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, my, my advice uh, for those who are struggling with some kind of some form of a chess addiction. Um, and of course I'm not a medical uh, professional. So that's out there, not a medical professional. And even though I have Google, I haven't even Googled this. This is just straight out of straight out of nowhere, this advice. But um, first of all, I would say you have to know which kind of addiction you have, right? Like, are you addicted to like, you know, chess as like, uh, an intellectual pursuit and an, or, you know, an escape from the real world? Are you addicted to winning? Are you trying to like fill a hole in your ego? Um, you know, I think first you have to identify which one it is, but then some, some advice I have is to try and make sure that things are good in your life. I think, and this could apply to addictions other than chess perhaps, or maybe this is wrong. It doesn't apply to anything, but I think like if you're happy with a lot of other things in your life, you'd be less susceptible to going on like binges, you know, like if I have a good day versus a bad day on a bad day, I'd be more inclined to like come home and play a bunch, bunch of blitz chess than if I have like a good day. So I think sometimes, you know, if we're escaping in some way, that means there might be something wrong with our normal life. And if we can, ask ourselves, you know, what are the things about my normal life that I want to change? Is it in my power to change any of those things? If we can, if we can get happy with our, with our normal life, um, I think that can, that can help to reduce the allure of an addiction. And then as we've mentioned on here, I think a lot of our addictions are going to be ego driven and about like winning and, and being on top of stuff. So for that, I would say, you know, try and get over yourself, you know, just accept that you're a person. Other people are people. You don't need to be better than other people. I think that can help with that aspect. And then something I, I, I take from, from Kostya and his example about uh, Greg, but I want to lean on and agree with as well is the thing about like sort of structuring things 
in a mindful way saying, I'm doing this for this purpose within these parameters, right? And if, if you lay out your stuff and follow a program, I'm going to play 10 blitz games. I'm going to play one hour of blitz games. I'm going to do this. I'm going to analyze this from it. I think um, that kind of structure teaching you self-discipline and self-control at the same time is, is great for managing the chess addiction that most of us do share, in my opinion. Um, oh, and then there's the uh, the time trouble addiction, which we haven't talked about that many players mm-hmm. <laughs> do, which, uh, yeah, definitely feels like an addiction because it gets in the way of good good chess and good results. <laughs> and that one, yeah, maybe deserves its, its own show, how to deal with that. Yeah. And I, yeah, I said it in just like one or two sentences, metabolic error, but I definitely don't mean to indicate that it's easy to fix your life or be happy. Right. I mean, one of the reasons many people are unhappy is that it's very difficult and sometimes it's not even in, in our control, perhaps. Um, it's tough. It's tough work. I just mentioned it succinctly. Well, I think we did some good damage today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I hope that we can continue the dojo talks, you know, roughly once a week. It's fun. I like talking to you guys. Yeah, same. Absolutely. Um, maybe we should uh, plug our, our next topic. Um, yeah. We'll be doing next week. We're going to be talking about like chess culture and how it's changed over the years. Uh, it should be a good one. Should have, yeah. <laughs> we'll have some, some new perspectives there. And, that'll be and also maybe a, little, maybe a little futurism as to how it will change too when we go back to tournaments. Yeah. yeah some predictions and fears <laughs> okay cool guys great all right sounds good guys thanks everyone for hanging Bye. out it was a great talk